Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Good morning. Extravagant introduction there from daughter Jen. Part of the story, I probably tell it every time, but I, my first ever conference at Bethel, I was there, a student, I'd just been working in the kitchen, went into the sanctuary, the sanctuary was only set up for 500 people because Bethel wasn't quite Bethel then, and um, I laid on the floor and, uh, and, I, and God told me to learn how to father daughters, and when I stood up, she was there. And she said, let me help you. <laughs> you become a bit of a southern girl. I detected a bit of southern has crept into you. That coastal girl has gone a little bit southern, haven't you? I mean, I'm not going to try and mimic it, but going to hell in the handbasket was, was, was kind of, it was pretty southern, I think. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, from glory to glory. <laughs> from south to south, <laughs> but always great privilege for us to, to be here and, uh, and to visit here, and feels like home, so we'll just, we just hang out and chat. Uh, I, I thought I'd just minister a couple of things before I jump into what I have to say. Um, there's a couple of things that have been around uh, us recently that, uh, that I really strongly want to pray into, and there's one that we always pray into, but... Um, Last September, we met a young woman. She was 36 years of age, and uh, she'd been diagnosed with, uh, I think, something like 14 tumors. And uh, she wasn't going to make Christmas, but uh, she is uh, still doing really well. Tumors reduced in size, and um, I haven't had a, a most recent update, but that, that about a month ago, she was down to three small tumors in her body. Um, and then we were in South Africa um, in Joburg, one of our, our other homes that we love to go to. And uh, a lady uh, came up to me and said, you prayed for me the last time we were here. Well, we were just there in February. And when we prayed for her, it was October. And uh, she, she said, you prayed for me. I said, oh, yeah, I know. You were sitting in that seat over there. You know when sometimes you know. And uh, she would not put her hand, uh, wouldn't stand up that day. She put her hand up and I had people gather around her. And uh, so she came up to us two weeks ago, and uh, she had a full set of the slides of her thyroid, absolutely riddled with not just precancerous stuff, absolute cancer, nasty stuff. So that was, uh, that was diagnosed a week before we prayed for her. The week after we prayed for her, uh, she had um, surgery, had really difficult surgery, and um, she ended up in intensive care. Her path pathology results were due to take 10 days and uh, for some reason the pathologist stayed up all night and uh, on the second day uh, her consultant came in, doctor came in to ICU and said I don't know who your friend is up there but there is not one trace of cancer in any of this stuff. So, Jesus. And uh, apart from just encouraging me, um, We've been on a little bit of a journey around that of, of, of making a decision. Because sometimes when you travel and teach, it's like, what do you do, you know? And, and uh, you know, 
don't always stop to pray for the sick at the beginning. And so we made a decision that we would try and do that. And um, another thing, so if there's anyone here with cancer, we're definitely going to have you jump up in a moment. If there's anyone here with that, I'm going to pray for you. And um, this, the other thing that happened to me was that I was in a conference about October last year. Uh, it was quite, there were some funny events surrounding it, to be perfectly honest. But um, I preached in the afternoon and I was sitting at the meal table after I'd preached and uh, a man came up and stood behind me. I, I knew who he was. Um, he's a physical therapist, and he'd been working on a bunch of the other people on the team, including Heidi and Jean-Luc. And um, I'd heard some screams of pain, to be honest, from Jean-Luc, who's one of my closest friends as this physical therapist worked on him. But he came up to me, and he said, I have a word of knowledge for you. word of knowledge is you've got a problem with your left shoulder. Do you have pain in your left shoulder? I said, well, I kind of do, but it was the sort of pain was, ah, that's just the way it is kind of thing. And actually, here's what I, I put it down to. I had driven for 15 years in this country with an automatic on that side of me. I've got this, and now I'm driving in England with a stick shift on that side of me, and I ended up with tendonitis in my left shoulder. And, uh, but I was kind of like, well, that's just the way it is. And uh, he said, no, you got that. So I lift my arm. I can only get it up to there. And then he's standing behind me, working on me, basically, at the meal table, manipulating me. I mean, I don't know why he had my ha his hand so far under my rib cage, but apparently <laughs> the two things are related. And um, I could not lift my arm up like that, and I could not lie like that, on, which is how I like to sleep with my arms under my pillow. Too much information, I know. But that's how I like to sleep. And... Uh, Absolutely. one. And then he said to me, he said, oh, your joint is at the front. The ball is at the front of your shoulder. It should be at the back of your shoulder joint. And um, anyway, he put it all back together again and immediately absolutely no, no, no pain whatsoever. Can't even access because I could touch the, the head there and I could, I could make it hurt. I can't even make it hurt anymore. And um, yeah, it's beautiful. There's two things about it that really interest me um, because one of them is that I am passionate about there is no second-class healing. Surgery is not a second-class healing. And here was me being healed by a word of knowledge by a physical therapist who then sorted it out. And um, so I, I want to pray for anyone with cancer. I want to pray for anyone, and you've got the kind of little bit of battle in your head at the moment because you're, you're rightly having medical treatment, but you're waiting for your miracle. And I, and I want to kind of just minister into that for a moment. And then lastly, because we do, and because we're never going to stop praying, if you're, you've got infertility, we want to pray for you. Is anyone here with infertility? You want babies? Oh, there's a bunch of you. The numbers have gone up. We got the numbers down for a while. We need to get them numbers back down. All right. Well, why don't you all jump up first, the um, infertility people, because I just want to particularly pray. Our story is that we were healed of this, and... Uh, yeah, come on, Jesus. Take care of this. Take care of this. Uh, so who, Sue was healed of infertility. The last 10 years, at least, we have been praying specifically everywhere we go. And um, we never get bored with the stories, and the stories never, never stop coming. And we have seen... Some extraordinary healings, actually, some extraordinary circumstances. People in their 40s, actually a lady in her 50s who had an in vitro um, egg donor but walked the journey in her early 50s, having already been healed of multiple sclerosis. So if God can do that, I mean anything. So 
And are there any um, grandparents, wannabe grandparents, you've got kids that can't get pregnant, you're already standing up, I like your faith, you're good people. <laughs> wannabe grandparents, and uh, yeah, take care of this, Jesus. Take care of these, take care of these people. We declare the original design. We cancel any assignment of original sin, any mindsets. We, we call original design forward. Multiply. Go forth and multiply. Original design. Everyone standing for, for themselves, whether it's the man or the woman, whether there's a problem or not a problem, whether there's a diagnosis or not a diagnosis, whether there's an age issue, whether there's a mindset issue, whether there's an emotional issue, whether there's a generational issue. Today we say, no more. And in the name of Jesus, conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. Take care of this, Jesus. You've done it in this house before. Do it again. And for those with children, the wannabe grandparents, we say, take care of this, Jesus. Take care of this. Take care of this. In Jesus' name, take care of this. Take care of this, Jesus. Conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have cancer, or if you're in the category that I said earlier, that you're in the middle of medical treatment, but waiting for your miracle, um, I want you to stand. And actually, if you have shoulder problems, I want you to stand. Is there anyone with shoulder problems? So my shoulder is 100%. I mean, it is 100%. I can't even make it hurt. I've since bought an automatic, but I'm not going back to a <laughs> Well, Jesus, I'm asking you right now, any cancer, to bow the knee just as you did for that lady. Every trace of cancer in anyone's body bows the knee. Every trace bows the knee. No more. We're looking for the good reports. And everyone also who is in the middle of this tension of medical treatment waiting for a miracle. Medical treatment waiting for a miracle. Firstly, Father, I ask that you would give them peace. You would give them peace and anything in them, anywhere they've been questioning themselves, anywhere they've even thought, do I have faith? Do I have enough faith? Am I lacking faith because I'm having treatment? I say to you in the name of Jesus, no. You are not lacking faith. You are not lacking faith. And ask for breakthrough to come. Breakthrough to come. Rapid breakthrough. Any diabetes, I pray breakthrough. I pray breakthrough. Most of all, I ask for peace. And I ask that in the midst of medical treatment, an expectation of faith will rise up. An expectation of healing will rise up. And a celebration of the skill of doctors will be married with the Holy Spirit. A celebration of the skill of healthcare professionals will be married with the love of the Holy Spirit. There'll be accelerated healing, accelerated healing, accelerated breakthrough in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and let Steve know because there's going to be some stories.
this is good, this tent. We talked about this tent. I like tents. Uh, I felt like there was a word. Actually, um, let me just release this. I, I won't have you stand, but um, I, I felt when I walked in, there was, a, there was a, some of you have been waiting for something a long time, and I felt like the Lord was releasing the, the faith to believe that the answer to the one day I will prayer. Uh, that's the only way I can say it. That sounds odd, but I think some of you, maybe lots of us, maybe all of us, but, but some of us have carried some of these things a long day, the one day I will. And uh, I felt like the Lord was about to release that um, really rapidly for some of you and you, to get expectant, even where you might have got a little bit, um, you know, your dream got a bit tarnished and, you know, the dream needs dropping back in the silver cleaner and coming out shiny, you know. That is the picture I got, the one day I will. So just grab hold of that, if that's you, and just believe that there is a, there is a breakthrough coming, the one day I will. And uh, yeah, it's good. Well done on the tent. Good stuff. Well, I don't want to talk about... Um, there you go. Take it. There you go. One day I will. <laughs> You've been well a long time then. <laughs> That's good. I won't forget that. I want to talk about when sons become heroes. Um, and uh, there's, there's a number of ways I could jump into it. And uh, there's a number of thoughts I have around it. But... Uh, and that's why I'm going to use you because you're a good example. Because, um, you know, there you are sitting on the cover of a magazine right now. Or to keep the balance, there's Jen on the other side who wrote a book. And drops little nuggets on us like fantasy is a dream that never paid a price. If you haven't read her book, you need to read her book because that line is worth the book. That line is genius. And then your one today was really cool too, daydreaming with the devil. I never heard that before. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. But what, why am I saying that? Because, you know, the goal of us um, as leaders in the body of Christ is that our sons and daughters become heroes. And uh, that, that should be our goal. I, I don't think it's always been our goal, to be perfectly honest. You see, sometimes we've come from a different angle, and, and instead of looking at something... So Blake's on the cover of Charisma magazine, so if you haven't seen that, you should, because you should be celebrating it. You see, the world is changing. There's this massive shift in the world. And the world is opening up, I believe, an opportunity to a church which is in a massive shift. Which means that we need to shift in the way we lead. And the way we le need to lead is that we need to lead as fathers who expect our sons and daughters to become heroes. That has to be the way that we think because otherwise we will limit what we do. And in the past, we've tended to look at scenarios like these two who, you know, I've known for a while. We've tended to look at them and we've 
Instead of celebrating them, we've wanted to be celebrated ourselves. Instead of, instead of looking at, at, an, at an achievement, we've wanted to go, well, I was once on the cover of Charisma, which I never have been. But there's been that tendency to, instead of going, well done, there's been this tendency as well that we've, we've kind of been cautious instead of looking and going, go for it, run. I hope you're on 100 covers. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That instead of asking questions of how we can help and serve We've questioned how they got there. And there's a shift. The shift is that, that we raise sons and daughters who become heroes. You see, even Saul, in all his messed upness, even Saul, it, it says, I'll jump to it. I'll give you a Bible verse, then it's all legal. 1, 1 Samuel 17:55. Saul sees what David did and said, whose son is that? That's literally what he said. Some of you thought Bill invented that because in Bill Johnson used that phrase in the baseball bleachers of whose son is that. But actually Saul said it thousands of years ago. Whose son is that? Who raised that hero? And I, I Sue and I are you know, rightly proud, although we used to go to a church where you weren't allowed to be proud of your kids. Really, we did. We went to a church where we were told, don't be proud of your kids, literally. Crazy. That's the kind of religious thing that we're coming out of. That's why I'm really talking about this. We're, we're rightly proud of our, of our kids and, and you should be proud of, of your kids. And any preacher who doesn't tell stories about their kids' achievement needs to question their preaching ability because, because they're actually modeling what we should be doing. And I looked over, we were in uh, my son at the end of the, school, the Christmas school term leads a carol service. It's the carol service for his school in a parish church next to Windsor Castle that holds a thousand people, but only once a year does it have a thousand people in it when our son is leading a carol service. And it's absolutely packed out because the kids are there uh, and the old boys come back to it. And, and honestly, there is standing room only. And I looked over, I looked over the balcony because we we're up high looking down. And I looked down this last Christmas and I looked down and I thought, well, son, I, I managed to do a few things, you know, I led, ran a prison and that sort of thing. And there's, there's some things that I did, but I'm seeing what you're doing now. And you've taken that that I gave you and you've expanded it. It's the hardest term of his year. And he often puts a little Facebook thing he puts up. He says something along these lines. This is my hardest term of the year, but it will end singing. Oh, come, let us adore him. And a thousand people sing, oh, come, let us adore him. It's not a Christian school. It's not a Christian setting. But there's something about that. And I looked down and I thought, you relentlessly have gone after this and you become a hero. You become my hero. And it was just one of those moments. I think it's a moment every mum and dad needs to have when the sons and daughters become heroes. And um, I, I was, uh, so I started thinking about that and chewing it around. And I don't know how many of you went to the leaders' conference or heard the leaders' conference last year at Bethel. Um, Don Miller spoke. Did anyone hear him speak? Um, one of you couple of you. And uh, I, I, I've, used his, I've used kind of what he taught, but never as articulately. And he, and he gave me language. And, and he, he gave this language that, that we need to not be the heroes ourselves, but the, be the guides. That even Jesus, the Son of God, he showed up on this planet. And if anyone ever had the right to go, here I am. I'm the hero. I'm the savior. He didn't. 
He showed up to serve. He showed up to raise heroes, to be the guide that would raise heroes. And, and that's what we, we need to be. And actually, every one of us who aspires to be a mother and, or a father in, in, in this move of God should aspire to be a guide and not a hero, to raise sons and daughters who become heroes. And, and somewhere in all my sort of thinking and musing around some of these thoughts, I, I went to Ephesians 4, and I've been a bit, a, a bit stuck on Ephesians 4 just lately for a variety of reasons, but... But there was one verse that really jumped out in this regard. Ephesians 4.13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I started thinking, it's time we grew up. It's time we grew up. It's time we grew up to be the secure sons and daughters who become the mothers and fathers who can be the guides that will raise heroes and we won't be intimidated because our sons and daughters go further, higher, wider, longer and deeper than we ever go. And to do what we're being called to do in this moment in history requires that that those of us that step into any place of leadership or fathering need, need as it were, to, to review the way that we live so that we actually are determined that we will raise sons and daughters who become heroes. And then I was with a friend of this house and a friend of mine. I was with Steve Witt last, uh, about last September. We were in Germany together, which was a lot of fun. And I, I taught a message. I taught it before. It wasn't a new message for me, but I taught it unusually kind of calmly. And uh, it was actually, this seems to be the latest height for for preaching, which seems to be bar height, it seems to me, to me, as a Brit. That basically seems to be what we've done. It's just like that, you know, it's like leaning up against the bar. It seems to be, it seems to be the latest thing that we've, we've done, you know. But, um, so I literally preached like this. It was so relaxed and it was just, I was just chatting and I was telling my story about uh, becoming a son. And, and then I went for a walk. I was in Germany. I went for a walk and I, I was just talking to God and I said, God, you know, I... Uh, my dad died when I was 15, that's part of my message. And I was just talking to God, I said, you know, God, I don't think I need to jump in your lap. I don't think that's the season of my life that I'm in right now. I think I need something different. And don't get me wrong, if, you know, I, I love all the sozo in the healing stuff. I get it. But, you know, and, and I get the jump in daddy's lap. And if that's the season you're in, you need it. But I've actually, since I started preaching this, had a lot of people saying, thanks for saying that. You know, because for some people, jumping in daddy's lap can actually sound quite awkward. You know, it's not necessarily the the first phrase that comes to all of our minds. So I'm having this conversation with God and I said, look, I can remember jumping in my daddy's lap. He died when I was 15. I can, I can see the, the couch that we wrestled on. I can see all of that. I, I, I know that. That's not what's missing from my life. I, I, What's missing from my life is I never had a man-to-man, adult-to-adult conversation with my dad. That's the bit that's missing. And then I go on, I, I, I go on a walk and I'm just chatting with God. I'm just saying, that's the bit for me. And then Steve preached about, I don't know, 24 hours later, Steve Whit preached. He preached this message. I've never heard anybody attempt this message. It was the Jesus that's not kind of written about in the Bible. And he started talking about him. He said, look, we've got this view of Jesus, you know, who was a carpenter who made nice, pretty tables and chairs in a carpentry shop that never had any wood shavings and was never untidy. 
that's the image we have of this nice Jesus who makes, you know, nicely carved tables, chairs, and it's all very pretty. He said, Jesus would have walked to the forest and cut down trees, carried them back to the carpentry shop on his shoulders. Jesus is a real man who probably made boats and yoke for oxen. In fact, he might have made the boat that Peter was in, that was Peter's boat, which is maybe why he slept in it, because he made it. (laughs) He was messing around, obviously. But the, the imagery started to get me. And then he said, can you imagine Jesus? There he is sitting at the table. You know, there's no computers, no TV. They're they're sitting at the table in the evening. They're eating flatbread. They're dipping it in freshly pressed olive oil. They've got deep fried locusts because they can't have shrimp. They're, (laughs) They're sitting around. They're having a glass of wine, which if you take Chris Vallotton's theology, Jesus might have made it. Well, he always jokes and says, how did Mary know that Jesus could turn water into wine? It's a fair point, you know. But the image was this. There's this man sitting at the table, you know. Like some of the worship leaders seem to be. This thing around male worship leaders at the moment seems to be they have to have biceps to die for, don't they? Have you noticed that? But Jesus would have been that guy. He carries trees back from a forest. He, He... he knows how to wield axes and tools, and now he's sitting at a table. And, and Steve started painting this picture, and I'm like, I want to sit at that table. I want that conversation. I want man-to-man conversation with Jesus. I'm okay if you need daddy's lap, but I think there's a generation of people who need to grow up to the mature man, to the fullness of the knowledge of the stature of Jesus Christ. And, and it's all about raising heroes. It's all about how do, we, how do we raise heroes? I just started thinking about that. Imagine that table. Imagine that man-to-man conversation. And I have actually have started to try and visualize more in my life. That if I'm, you know, walking around or, you know, whatever, I'm thinking, what would it look like to have that man-to-man conversation? Now, I, I know that this is a very teetotal part of the world, so my jokes about the bar might be inappropriate, but, you know, I have, I own two country records, um, basically. I'm not really a country guy. I mean, I'm a Brit, you know. But, you know, one, one of them is there's something in the water, which I think is absolutely stunning about um, Carrie Underwood's baptism. And the other one is uh, if I could have a beer with Jesus. If you haven't heard it, it paints a picture I mean, you can have, if I can have a tea with Jesus, if that works, it's okay. That I, I'm not, I don't care about the drink. The imagery, I think, is an imagery that the body of Christ needs to get hold of. I, I believe it's time we grew up. I believe it's time that we truly stepped back, as it were, and, and started to go. Our goal is to grow up, and our goal is to raise up sons and daughters who grow up, who become our heroes. And, you know, we, we need to become the guides, not the heroes. I mean, one of the challenges of any, of any public ministry is, and I love the way Bill Johnson puts it, you either put yourself on a pedestal or get put on a pedestal or get knocked off it. Well, we need to shift from that. Uh, my goal here is not to be a hero. My goal is here not for people to go, oh, look what he did. My goal here is for you to become the heroes of your own story. That's the goal. For you to discover it, discover your story and become the hero of your story. And as you do, you'll raise up 
sons and daughters around you who will become heroes of your story. And so what it means is that we have to start to become guides. You know, one of the big lies that gets in the way of this, I believe, is the lie about fathering. It's a, it, and I, I want to I just go after that and I'm going to minister to a couple of other things. But you see, if, if I think that I'm the hero, that means that I have to be the expert. And one of the lies I believe in the body of Christ has been this. I can't father you unless I'm better than you at what you do. That's a lie in the body of Christ. Now, here's what's weird about it. It doesn't apply in the natural. See, our son, my wife's musical. I'm not. Our son is a genius musician. I think he could walk up here and play anything on the stage and a few other instruments beside. He does extraordinary stuff with students and, and what have you. He does a musical at the end of the year. It's amazing. This year he's doing Les Mis. Last year um, he, he did um, Kiss Me K. And, and he has, it's brilliant. I'm biased, but it's brilliant. <laughs> he can play anything. I play CDs. <laughs> but who does he want? to sit on the front row apart from his mum, to cheer him on, his CD-playing dad. What's my point? My point is this. You don't have to be better at what somebody does to father them. But it's a lie. It's this lie that crept in. I believed it. I absolutely know that I believed it. I, I know that I believed it because I got given a prophetic word in 2012. Many of you know that I would preach in stadiums and I would raise up young evangelists. It was a word that changed the course of my life. The, the preaching in stadiums was like, where on earth does that come from? But the raise up young evangelists, how can I possibly do that? That's not me. I'm, I'm not the guy that walks down the street and preaches to everybody that I meet. I'm not the guy that has had, you know, sort of stadium ministry. I'm not that guy. I get given this word. I'm not that guy. So how am I going to father young evangelists? How could that possibly happen to me? And it was the classic example of, I had this lie in my head. On a Sunday night in Bethel, about somewhere around 2014, I think it was. It was an unusual night. It was a strange night. It was, Bill was in a mischievous mood. He was wandering around just praying for people with that look in his eye, you know. And uh, he actually prayed for me. I hit the deck face down. I don't know why it was face down. Then I heard a voice and a hand on my back, which I don't know who it was, saying, give him Europe. And it was all part of our journey back to Europe. And then I climbed over uh, the chairs and I sat next to a man. Now, I sat next to a man that I'd uh, apparently a couple of days before inadvertently offended. I'd inadvertently offended him. Not, I wasn't rude or anything, but just because I asked him questions about his ministry. Uh, it's just the way I am. I, I was just trying to get to know him by asking him questions. And it's, uh, it was just funny, actually, with hindsight. Because he has a healing ministry. And I was just saying, so what makes your healing ministry different from someone else's? Just want to know, you know? And uh, <laughs> because in my mind, you see, I have, a, I have some different models. I have medical healing, empower the doctors. I have the Cal Pierce healing rooms model, put healing rooms in places. I have the Randy Clark model, we're going to accredit spiritual healing. So I just want to know where people fit in. It's just the way I'm wired. But apparently my questions were, I don't know. 
I don't know how they exactly describe them. We joke about it these days. So I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that I'd slightly offended these wonderful couple. And I climbed over the pews on that Sunday night or the chairs. And I sat and started praying for this man. And his wife started crying, which is always a good sign. Prophetic word or pray for a husband. If the wife cries, you're, you're on track, okay? So keep going, in other words. And I, I prayed for him. And, uh, and then he looked at me. He sat up and he said, I've been prayed for by evangelists my whole life, but most of them are elder brothers who just in their prayers want to tell me how to do my job better. But tonight, a father of evangelists prayed for me. He didn't know the prophetic word. Now, I have to now tell you his name because if I don't tell you his name, he tells me off. His name is Jean-Luc Traxel, and he's done stuff that I've... I mean, I'm not likely to ever come close to, and that's not false humility. It's just his miracles and his anointing. Why am I telling you this? Because that night he broke a lie. He bust a lie in me. Jean-Luc Traxel is now one of my closest friends. Josie Ann is equally, his wife is one of my closest friends. That little conversation about me asking questions has just become a part of our story. And uh, whenever I'm in Switzerland, I stay in their house. I've sat opposite the meal table with this man. And, you know, he's, he's not unlike Leif, to be honest. Jean-Luc and Leif are very, very similar. They're cut from a similar piece of cloth. You know, they go to crazy places like Pakistan and stuff like that. See extraordinary miracles happening. And uh, that night, that man broke something. He broke a lie in me. I've sat across the breakfast table looking at him in tears in the middle of an extraordinary crisis that he was going through. And I've stood up from the breakfast table and I've walked over and put my arms around him and said, Sean Luke, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. He's, he has positioned me here and we are going to press through this and we're going to come through the other side. I'm not qualified for that in the natural, but I'm qualified for it in the spiritual. And I believe there are people in this room here today and you are qualified to be spiritual fathers and mothers who raise sons and daughters who become heroes. But the enemy wants to tell you you're not qualified. But here's the truth. If you will be willing to do what you're not qualified to do, and I'm not talking about become a surgeon. I'm talking about in the spirit. I just had to say that. Otherwise, some of you might go buy your surgeon's kit. But if you are willing to do what you're not qualified to do, it's your willingness that will qualify you. It is your willingness that will qualify you. You see, that lie creates behavior in us. You see, if I believe that lie that I have to be better than you, then somehow I have to position myself to be the hero, to be the expert, instead of positioning myself to be the guide. And when I position myself to be the guide, I'll treat you differently. You see, I won't, say to, I won't be questioning a Blake like, well, how did you manage to do that? I'll be saying, hey, wow, this must introduce some new stuff. Is there anything I can, anything I can help you with in that area? Is, 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 you know, maybe you've got some new challenges. Is there anything you think I could help you with? I want to cheer you on. You see, I, and, and I'm going to step in and I'm going to be thinking, I don't want to remind you that I've been on the cover of a magazine. I'm going to want to go, I want to celebrate you. How can we celebrate you? How can we celebrate what God's done in your life? You see, my behavior changes when I change my position. If I stand here as the hero, I'm going to treat you one way. But if I stand here as the guide, I'm going to treat you differently. I'm going to ask questions. I'm not going to question you. I'm going to celebrate you. I'm not going to want to be celebrated. I'm going to find every way possible that, that I can encourage you, believe in you, cheer you on. Because I've changed the position. 
And this isn't just about the people who have the microphone up here. This is about everyone in the body of Christ because there is a moment that we stand in. It is a moment that we stand in on this earth when there is an opportunity for us to rise up as men and women of God, as sons and daughters, and step out into the world and make a difference. A difference unlike, I believe, any other moment in history. And fathers and mothers give sons and daughters permission. It's one of the things they do. They give permission. They're they're saying, you know, You see, the old model would have been, well, you need to be a bit careful, Blake. You need to be a little bit careful here. We don't want this to go to your head. We, we, you know, let's just make sure that you've got all your theology right before. And now, but then the the position changes. When I become the guide, it's like, this is incredible. Go further. Go wider. Go higher. Go deeper. Go longer. Raise the bar. Go on. Do it. And we don't do it for this reason that people will say, whose son is that? But that is the result because people will come to Steve and go, whose son's that? What kind of house raised that hero? See, I, this is, it's actually slightly the wrong title because the word in literally means more about extravagance. But I believe that God is inviting us to build the post-prodigal house. That's what I believe he's calling us to build, the post-prodigal house. Now, I'm not saying there aren't more prodigals who need to come home, but what needs to happen is that the house needs to graduate to be the post-prodigal house. You see, I want to ask you, what's it look like when the son comes home and he knows who he is, he knows why he's alive, he knows where he's going, he knows the impact of his life, what's the house look like with that kind of a son living in it? What's the house look like with a son who was the elder brother who knows that the father's always been with him and everything he has is his? What's that house look like? You see, it was never meant to stop. I kind of wish Jesus had had, you know, Luke 15 version 2, you know, 2.0 as they would call it today. But that's what I'm suggesting. You You see, the reality is the father had always been there. I mean, if you believe what the father said to the elder brother, then what the father said to the elder brother would have applied to the younger brother too, in that the younger brother had previously lived in the house with that father. He just hadn't worked it out. So my challenge to you is this, what would it look like? What does the post-prodigal house look like? It looks like, I believe, a house where the son's come home, he's got the robe on his back, he knows he's worthy, he's got the ring on his finger, he knows he's trusted, he's got the sandals on his feet, he knows he's a son, and he can smell barbecue everywhere he goes because he knows he's celebrated. What's that house look like? That's the house that gives permission. That's the house that is the guide to raise the heroes. That is the house where questions are asked instead of people being questioned. That's the house. That's the house I want to build. That's the house I want to be part of. And I believe that's what he's doing here. Because there are heroes in this room who were sons and daughters, who become heroes. And when you start to see it, it becomes contagious. It becomes what, what we should be doing, what every one of us should be doing. One of the greatest privileges, and honestly is one of the greatest privileges in my life, and I'm not, I do get to preach in stadiums these days, about once a year I get to do this. And I, and I'm, I love doing it, but the great privilege within that is not that I get to do it, it's that I get to be in the room with Ben Fitzgerald. That's, that's the great privilege. 
that Sue and I have, have watched this young man. I remember my, Sue pointed him out to me way before I ever noticed him. On one Sunday night, she pointed him out and said, that young man is a father. The language he's using, he's using the language of a father. And then, you know, a little while later, 2014, he comes back from Nuremberg and says, Paul, you're coming with me to Nuremberg. You're going to preach in the stadium. I, I don't feel like the right guy, but I'm with you. And now, four stadium events later, and we're about to go to Vienna and, and in Austria this June. And we get to be with him. We get to be this young man, and I, I, I've watched him change. I've watched some of his attitudes change. I've, I've watched God knock off some of the rough edges. I, I've watched him step into a place where he's uniting the bride of Christ, where he's gathering people from every denomination. He's putting them on a stage together. I, I watched this young man, and my great privilege is not that I get to do something. My great privilege is I get to be in the room with that guy who's a son who's become a hero. That's what we're meant to be. But part of it is that we grow up. Because you can't be a father who raises heroes if you're not secure in who you are. If you're walking in jealousy, you can't. If you're walking in doubt, you can't. If you think you have to be better than other people to father them, you can't do this. And so I want to invite you. And I believe that there's a number of you here that this is exactly the peace. I want to invite you to go on a journey man to man with Jesus. I'm not, don't get me wrong, because I don't want to be misquoted to the Sozo teams, all right? I don't want to be misquoted. <laughs> jump in Jesus, jump in daddy's laps, okay, if that's where you are. But that's not where we were meant to stay. We weren't meant to stay there. I was never meant to be robbed of a man to man, male to male, adult to adult relationship with my dad. I was never meant to. Now I'm getting to learn what that looks like. I'm getting to learn what that looks like with my boys. This last year, our youngest sons live with us in England. And, and, and the most inconvenient part of my life has been that every day I get up a little bit earlier and I take him to the station. And the greatest part of my day has been that every day I'm home, I get to get up a little bit earlier and take him to the station. Because I had conversations with him that I, I never had with my dad. And I'm being introduced to something, and I'm like, I, I have to check myself, and Sue has to remind me every now and then, remember, you said from the pulpit, that's the great privilege. You, you Get out of bed, you know, kind of thing, you know? <laughs> but I believe there's an invitation. I think it's time that the body of Christ grew up to become the mature, the mature ones who raise up the sons and daughters who are asking questions of our sons and daughters of how we can help them who are giving them permission to go further and higher are being the guides and not the heroes and are being the celebrators and not the celebrated that's what he's inviting us if as I've said that about man to man adult to adult now it can be lady to lady it's all right but women reveal the father yeah it's okay I, I struggle with the gender-neutral language because I, I, I want to celebrate women, and I, but I'm a son, so I don't tend to use the daughter language. Does that make sense? So if that's you, you want to graduate to the adult-to-adult -adult relationship, I want to invite you to stand. If you want to cancel that lie, I want you to stand.
if you want to shift your position from being the hero to being the guide, I want you to stand. And I believe that the Lord is going to release something. I believe that these two wonderful examples of Jen and of Blake are a mere drop in the ocean of what he wants to do. Of the sons and daughters he wants to raise up from this house. But on the way, we need to become the mature men and women who can walk along the street, adult to adult, with Jesus. Father, I pray that you would release that right now. In all of the diversity of our relationships with you, Jesus, I'm asking that there be a maturity that is released today. A maturity of sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers, who raise sons and daughters, who become heroes who become world changers and history makers. I pray you'd cancel any jealousy amongst us. I pray you'd cancel any doubt that says, I have to be better than you to father you. I pray that you would release from within us a spirit of celebration, celebrating those that go further and higher and wider and longer and deeper. I pray you'd release a spirit of celebration and that you would make this house a place where permission is granted. Permission is granted to world changers in this house. Permission is granted to doctors and nurses to be world changers. Permission is granted to be teachers and educationalists to be world changers. Permission is granted in this house for people to step into government and politics and city leadership in this house. Permission is given in this house for artists and media workers and web designers and communicators. Permission is granted in this house for sons and daughters to be heroes and world changers, that you would make this house the post-prodigal house, the house where always the sons and daughters are welcome, the broken ones are always welcome, but that there is another chapter that is written, that it becomes the post-prodigal house that sends out sons and daughters with robes on their backs, rings on their fingers, sandals on their feet, the smell of barbecue everywhere they go. It'll be the place where the elder brothers know that although they feel like they've worked hard all these years, the Father's always been with them and everything they have is theirs. Father, would you commission this place to be the post-prodigal house for a moment in history that is waiting for world changes to take their place in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.